continuing this series that we're calling the Being Challenge, a 40-day journey in which we are walking with Jesus so that we might become more like Jesus. And specifically, we're looking at his habits. What were the things that Jesus did on a daily basis uh, that shaped who he understood himself to be, who he was, and, and what would it look like if we pattern our lives in the same way? What difference would that make? Last week, we looked at habit number one, which is uh, commit to community. Uh, One of the things that many people have noted is that the first thing Jesus did when he began his public ministry is he gathered a community of people around him. And that's because that's the way God designed it. He designed us as people, as, as creatures that were designed to live in community. This is part of the reason why we say you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. Why? Because that's the way God made us. For a relationship with him, but also for, for relationship with each other. And now uh, this week, we're going to be looking at uh, the second of Jesus' habits, uh, which is studying Scripture. But I think it's only right that before we dive into uh, God's Word and take a closer look at that habit, that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that He has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me. Lord God, we do indeed give you thanks that you have gathered us together here in your house, that we might come to know you that we might walk with you, that we might become more like you. And so, Lord, as we come before your word, we do indeed ask that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, if you were to talk to any uh, New Testament scholar uh, and to ask them what role the scriptures played in Jesus' life, what they will tell you is that about 10% of the words of Jesus that we have recorded, 10% of them are direct quotes from the Old Testament. Can you imagine that if like 10% of the words out of your mouth were quotes from the Bible? But that's what we find. It's, it's very apparent that Jesus was a close study of the scriptures. In fact, there's a story at the beginning of Luke's gospel where Jesus, as a young boy, gets lost in Jerusalem. And when his parents finally find him, where did they find him? Well, he's in the temple talking with the teachers of the law and debating the religious uh, leaders. From very, very early on, Jesus was just bathed, awash in Scripture. It's something he constantly dedicated himself to. And so if we are called by his name as Christians, if we're going to become more like him, then Scripture has to be something that's central to our lives. Because the reality is, is, that, is that the Bible is a pretty amazing book. It, to this day, can, uh, holds the world record for the best-selling book of all time. In fact, if you were to go to the Guinness Book of World Records website and type in the Bible, what you would find is that it's estimated that there are over 5 billion copies of the Bible have been printed, and it's been fully translated into over 349 languages, and there are at least 2,123 languages that have at least one book of the Bible translated into their language. We are talking about a book that is truly cross-cultural, that has stood the test of time down through the centuries. We're talking about a book that's shaped uh, 
the arts, that's shaped uh, music, that's even shaped science. You know, it, it's, a, it's a book that tells us that the heavens and the earth were, were crafted and designed with order and beauty and design. It's part of the reason guys like Galileo looked to the heavens was because they, they've been awash in the Psalms, which speak about how God has, has, has put the stars into place. The Bible is incredibly influential. It's an amazing book. And yet, one of the things you'll also find is that many people to this day are confused by it and sometimes even offended by it. Remember a couple of years ago, I came across an article and the title of the article was 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. Uh, And it was a list of books that everybody says, these are classics, you absolutely have to read these if you're going to be a well-formed, well-rounded, intelligent person. And you want to know what was number 12 on the list? The Bible. The Bible was listed as number 12 on the list of 21 books you don't have to read. And here's what the editor of the magazine said. Uh, Jesse Ball writes, The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who have in actuality not read it. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall, it's certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It's repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. Now, uh, it's worth noting that that article was found in GQ magazine, okay? Not exactly a luminary of literary criticism, okay? But at the same time, there's something, there's a really important lesson that Jesse actually highlights, and that is that most of us have no idea what the Bible is. Most of us have no idea what the Bible is. You can actually see it in even how Jesse defines the Bible. Is it a work of great literature? Is it supposed to be? Jesse, if, Jesse says if it's supposed to be great literature, it isn't. Is it supposed to be a manual for life? Something by which we live and it, it shapes our morals and our character and behavior. Jesse certainly seems to think it should be and yet accuses those who've supposedly read it of not actually putting it into practice. You see, what's highlighted by this quote that's important for us to recognize is that there are countless people, although they've heard of the Bible, might even be familiar with the Bible, may even read the Bible daily, still don't know what it is, why it was given to us, what role it's supposed to play in our lives. In fact, this is the very same confusion that I had when I first started to encounter the Bible as a young man. You see, I was not raised in church. Uh, We didn't really read the Bible regularly as a family as I was growing up. And as I got into my teenage years, I had a lot of friends who were Christians. And they they said, you know, they they based their lives on the Bible, that the Bible was important to read and to understand. And and they encouraged me to pick it up and read it. But every time I asked them, like, how do I read the Bible? What's the Bible for? I would just get so many different answers. It was really frustrating it was really hard to know what to do with this, with this very complicated book, which is actually a collection of 66 books. I didn't even know where to begin because I got so many different answers. But what I came to realize, the more I studied the Bible, the more I talked with, read about the Bible, the more I talked with mentors who were familiar with the Bible, is I re- came to realize that the Bible actually isn't a religious book at all. The Bible's not a religious book at all. Now, if that surprises you to hear a pastor say that, let me explain what I mean. Most religious books, in fact, I would argue all religious books, in some way are designed to uh, shape us or to teach us what we're supposed to do. 
And this is the part of the reason I was so confused when I came to the Bible and started to ask the question, what is it? Because I was like, well, if it's a religious book, then that means that it has rules. Because that's what religions have. They have rules and laws. And certainly as I open up the Bible, there's certain rules and laws, especially if you get into, you know, some of those early books in the Old Testament where it's just law after law after law after law. And I was just like, ah, see, religious book, it's got rules, do's and don'ts. But then you keep reading and you encounter Proverbs. Proverbs, which actually aren't rules. They're like wise sayings. And I was just like, okay, well, well, some religious books are collections of wise sayings, wise sayings from their founders, kind of philosophy for living life. But then I keep reading, and now I run into poems in the Psalms. Some of the Psalms that we even sang earlier on this morning. And I was just like, okay, so, so kind of like other religious books, the Bible's like meant to stir our hearts with its beauty and its poetry. But then I keep reading, and, and it's not just, you know, poetry— there's stories, there's narrative in it. And I was like, okay, so maybe like most religious books, it's really about examples to follow, right? We read stories of great religious figures and we're supposed to model our lives after them, right? They're like heroes of the faith. But then I actually started to read those narratives and I find out that there's nothing to really base my life on because these people are terrible people. I mean, honestly, if you read the Bible, many of the people's stories who are recorded, they do terrible things, Things that we would rightly call reprehensible. And so I was totally confused. I was just like, wait a second, this is supposed to be a religious book, but it's not just laws, and it's not just philosophy, and it's not just poetry, and it's certainly not hero stories. What the heck is this thing? Which is why I was so glad somebody came along and said, well, if you're really going to understand the Bible, you need to understand what Jesus understood about the Bible. He's at the center of our, feet, uh, of our faith. And so if you understand what Jesus says about the Bible, you're going to have a much better way of approaching it as a text. And so I started to look at the Gospels. And as I got into the Gospels, I, I came across passages like the one that were just read a little bit earlier this morning from Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is actually a beautiful chapter because it tells us how, what Jesus understood about the Scriptures and why he studied them. Actually, there are four times in this one chapter where Jesus tells us exactly how he understands the scriptures. We're told once by an angel, three times by Jesus himself. Let me see if you can catch it. This is after Jesus uh, was crucified. He was put on trial. He was executed wrongly. And now three days later, some of the women who were his disciples went to the tomb where he was laid. And this is what they found. It says they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. That's one. Second time happens when two of Jesus' other disciples are on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus himself comes up and walks with them, but they don't recognize him. It's almost like their heads are too down in the weeds about just how shocking everything is. And Jesus asks them, what are you talking about? It's like, they're like, well, we were following this guy. We thought that he was the savior of the world, but he got executed. Now we're really bummed and we're going home. And Jesus himself says this, how foolish you are and how slow to believe 
all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That's two. Third time comes when Jesus himself appears to his 12 disciples when they're in hiding. He shows up and, and they're just blown away that he's still alive. They can't believe it. And then he says, but this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. That's three. And then number four falls right on the heels of it. He said, he, he told them again, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Four times in one chapter, what does Jesus say? Scripture is all about. He says, Scripture is a letter. Specifically, Scripture is a love letter from God to us to reveal to us who He is. Four times, Jesus says, It's all about me. That if you want to know what God is like, that's why the scriptures are given. Yes, there are rules and wise sayings and poetry, but all of it, the only reason it's in there, the only reason it exists is to tell one story, one message of good news that our world desperately needs to hear. And that is that there is a God who loves us so much that he was willing to enter into the world and lay down his life in order to rescue us. That's what it's all about. And what's so beautiful is that that stands in the face of every other religious text. Every other religion tells us that the divine is a mystery. And the only way we're going to figure out who God is or what ultimate reality is like is by working really, really hard according to some laws with some wise sayings and maybe a smattering of beautiful poetry and maybe it'll sort itself out in the end. No, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a love letter that contains good news. In which God himself says, you don't need to wonder what I'm like because this is my heart for you. You don't need to wonder how I feel about you because what I tell you from the very first words to the very last verse is that I made you in my image. I deeply love you and I have come to rescue you. That's the point. That's the only reason it exists is so that we might hear God's voice speaking to us again. Reminding us of who he is and what he's done for us. And as you go through the Bible, that's what you, what you encounter. You realize that we, even though we're given laws and we are lawbreakers, are still desperately loved by God. Even though he pours out wisdom, we in our foolishness turn our backs on him and yet he runs after us anyway. That we who have hardened hearts, hearts of stone, God desires to speak his beautiful word into them to make us live once more. And it, despite failure after failure, Failure after failure on our part, it doesn't stop him from in his love becoming one of us, entering into this world to rescue us and lay down his life for us that we might live. That's the reason it exists. 
Can't tell you how many people have said, man, I just wish that I could hear God's voice. I just wish that, that God would speak to me and tell me what he's like. I just wish God would help me to understand what it means to have a relationship with him, what it means to find purpose in him for my life. And the answer is, you can, right here. Because he reveals himself to us. He speaks to us in words that we can understand. And ultimately, he actually becomes one of us so that we might enter into relationship with him. I love how the Gospel of John puts it, which opens with the following words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The reason we study the scriptures is because it's there that we hear God's voice once more. Because it's there that he actually speaks to us. These aren't just words on a page. They're a love letter to you. This isn't just information for us to think about. This is God's voice speaking to us and inviting us into a deeper relationship with himself. It's where he reveals what he's like so that we might trust him and learn to walk with him. And what I love is that when we finally can wrap our heads around that, it's then that God reveals not only who he is, but who we are. Notice right after Jesus kind of opens up the scriptures to them, it, he says this, you are witnesses to these things. And I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And he stayed continually at the temple praising God. See, not only when we read scripture do we know who God is, we suddenly realize who we are. We are witnesses. What are witnesses? They're simply people who've seen something and then share that good news with others. That's our one calling. Right here at the end of Luke's gospel, he says, you're supposed to be my witnesses. At the beginning of the book of Acts, he says, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. At the end of the gospel of John, he says, just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. At the end of gospel of Mark, he says, go proclaim the good news to all of creation. At the end of the gospel of Matthew, he says, go make disciples of all people. That's who you are. You are good news people. You are people who are loved and who are sent. That is your calling. And when we encounter God in his word, it suddenly is like what those disciples described. Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The first thing they do is get their sandals back on and run through the night back to Jerusalem with good news. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
God's word to us is nothing less than him revealing his heart that we might enter into a deeper relationship with him. That's what it's all about. That's why we study scripture. Because it's there that we encounter something better than any of the religions of the world can possibly give us. We hear the voice of the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who claims us as his own, who's rescued us, and who now sends us with his good news. And so if you're sitting there this morning and you want to know who is God, who has he called you to be, pick it up. Hear his voice. Study his word. And then go and proclaim good news. For that's why we're here. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you reveal your heart to us. You don't leave us to grope around in the dark to wonder what you're like and what our purpose is. Rather, you reveal yourself in words that we can understand that we might come to know you. Love that your scripture is so honest about us and our failings and yet it's also so clear about you and your love. That in the midst of all of our shortcomings and contradictions, all of our inconsistencies and failures, you and your beauty are constant. Your love is everlasting. And we know that because you demonstrated it. You entered into our world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Lord, we pray that as we once more hear that message, that good news, our hearts would burn within us. That we would know that we are loved and sent and that we would go out with that good news to others. That we would study scripture so that we could become better witnesses. So that those who desperately need to know that they are loved by you and sent by you can hear that word on our lips. So help us do so. Help us to be not only good students, but good witnesses, that more people will learn to look, live, and love more like you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.